Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of A Cowgirl and Her Horse. I'm your host, Katrina. Before we get started, I have a quick favor to ask. Could you please go to your podcast app of choice and subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast? It just helps get the podcast out to other listeners and will ensure that I'm able to continue making content just like this episode. You can also head over to Facebook or Instagram and search at a cowgirl and her horse. You can give me a like or a follow there. I post all kinds of stuff about my horsey shenanigans there. If you are listening to this on the day that it's released, it's Christmas Eve. I cannot believe it's Christmas Eve. It seems like 2019 went by so fast. So for those of you who celebrate Christmas, I just want to say Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have an awesome holiday season with lots of great food and fun time spent with your family and friends. For me, Christmas is a bit of a gong show. Both my parents and my husband's parents are divorced, so it makes for a lot of turkey dinners and other family get-togethers. If you have seen the movie Four Christmases with Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn, then you will kind of get an idea of what we have to go through at every major holiday. Um, I'm fortunate to have Christmas Day through till New Year's off from work, which means that I will get plenty of time to spend uh, time with Junior. And luckily, it's looking like it's not going to be that cold. Um, There isn't going to be a lot of snow and it's going to be sunny. So it's going to be the perfect mix to get some rides in. Uh, right now, my horse trailer is actually out of commission. It's having some wiring issues, so I'm forced to stay at home, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to keep Junior in shape. Um, up until a couple of weeks ago, it was really difficult to do much of anything with Junior outside. Uh, it had snowed here, but then it all melted in the middle of November. Um, when we had a stretch of warmer weather, that melted snow then froze again, turned to ice, which made it really difficult to even walk around our place. But I didn't let that deter me. Um, sure, I can't lope circles and stuff. I can't make any runs, but I can still make sure that Junior gets some activity during the day. Um, during those times when it was super, super icy, I would actually just hand walk him out in the pasture. We would do about a half an hour loop every day. Um, Our pasture is full of hills. So even if something as that was a great form of activity for him. And actually, to be honest, it was probably a good thing that we were forced to slow down. As you all know, Junior is getting older and I had actually been working him pretty hard This summer and fall, you know, towards the tail end of the summer, he's in really good shape. So we were able to push really hard. So this slowdown was actually really good for him. It allowed him just to kind of recover and, you know, just benefit from some time off and then come back even better. 
I don't know if any of you work out, but it's kind of like when you go through a really tough stretch of training and then you do a deload week where you really cut back on how hard you're training. When you come back from that deload, you're oftentimes stronger than you were before the deload. Um, The same thing kind of happened for Junior. I got on him after a stretch um, of just hand walking and some time off when we were in Arizona, and he felt amazing. He moved out really nice. I could feel him stretching his back. He extended his legs, and he was more perky. That break, that slowdown was exactly what he needed. So... I guess it's just some food for thought, especially for those of you who are not forced to take time off of your horses due to weather. Like if you live in somewhere like Arizona where you don't have ice and snow to contend with, consider giving your horse a quote unquote deload week once in a while. You have to remember that they aren't machines. They are living, breathing animals just like you and I. And can definitely uh, benefit from time off from, you know, now and again. Um, In the last couple of weeks, we've gotten a lot of snow. Uh, My husband was stoked about this because he could finally try out our snowblower. We had a snowblower here that had been just sitting out in the pasture for about 20 years without getting used. Uh, Last weekend, he hooked it up to the tractor gave it some grease and WD-40 and it worked like a charm and he looked happier than a pig in mud sitting on that thing. Uh, I was also happy about the additional snow because it means it's now safer for me to actually ride without the fear of Junior falling on ice. I have to still be careful, mind you. Um, If the snow is really light and fluffy, the ice hidden underneath can be really dangerous. So I walk on the ground where I'm going to ride first just to make sure it's safe before I ride. And even still, I'm not doing any loping for sure. Uh, The risk of falling is more than I'm willing to gamble with Junior. In my previous episode about riding in the fall and winter, I told the story about falling with Junior on some ice And we were only trotting when that happened, so I definitely don't want that to happen again. So I keep my rides, you know, to a walk and a trot and moving in straight lines for the most part. You know, I avoid doing tight circles and stuff like that where, you know, his legs could kind of come up out underneath from him. So um, will he lose some of fitness doing this? Yes, he's obviously not going to be in the same condition that he was at the end of the summer, but that's just something I have to deal with. In the spring, it's not going to take much to bring him back into condition because um, I haven't completely uh, let his conditioning go. So in the meantime, walking and trotting through snowdrifts is great exercise for him. You know, just try it yourself. Lifting your legs to move through snow is really, really hard. And I love, love, love it for conditioning my horses. If you plan on doing that, I just have a couple of warnings. One would be to be careful if the snow is really dense. It can be hard 
on their ligaments and tendons and stuff, especially if your horse isn't in good shape, you could actually end up injuring your horse. So just start out slow where the snow isn't too terribly deep, um, you know, starting at a walk and just gradually building your horse up over time. I get to the point at the end of winter where my horse can long trot forever through deep snow uh, with no problem. Number two would be to watch out for ice. Uh, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. If you have had stages of snowing, melting, freezing, and snowing again, be very, very mindful about where you ride. Um, another thing would be careful about riding where there isn't a lot of snow. Uh, frozen ground is really, really hard on a horse's body. Even just walking on it can make a horse body sore. I know it does for Junior, so just try to keep to snowy areas. Um, and I, I, one thing I should say, Junior is not shod right now. He's barefoot, so shoes can be a little bit sketchy on snow and ice, so I keep him sh um, barefoot in the wintertime. Um, and because I can't consistently lope, and I can't make any practice runs right now. I don't have any plans at this point of attending any winter barrel jackpots. They do have them every other week at my local arena, but I just don't feel like it would be fair to Junior to ask him to run when he's not conditioned for it. So instead, I'll just do what I can over the winter here and then get him back in running shape come the springtime. So I'm thinking that my first jackpot will be the last week of May of next year sometime. So, and that's my update. So with that, let's get into this week's episode. Whether you do cutting, dressage, jumping, or trail riding, the more correctly you use your riding cues, meaning your legs, your seat, and hands, the better you and your horse are going to perform. Many riders are completely oblivious that they are sending their horses confusing or even contradictory signals, and because of that... I have decided to focus this episode on the most common rider problems that I see and how to fix them. I will go through issues with your hands, legs, and seat, but keep in mind that they're all interrelated, even though I'm going to go through them separately. Um, the three types of aids work best if you use them correctly together. This means that if you don't have the greatest hands in the world, the fact that you have amazing leg cues may not completely compensate. You need to focus on all three areas and work on improving your weak spots in order to become a great rider. Uh, one thing I recommend when trying to improve your riding is to ask someone with experience to watch you ride. They will be able to 
identify your weaknesses and offer some feedback on where you can improve. If you don't have someone around, you know, like me, I ride by myself pretty much all the time, video yourself and watch it. You may be amazed by how much different you look from what you expect. I definitely had this realization myself not that long ago. I've been riding without any real feedback for a very long time. And I had someone video a run I made recently. I haven't seen myself on a horse in probably five or six years at least. And to see myself was an eye-opener for sure. And it gave me some really great feedback for where I need to improve. Um, Another thing that I should note is that horses are creatures of habit, just like you are. It is likely that you have been riding incorrectly in one way or another for a while now. And your horse has also become accustomed to your style of riding. So as such... When you start to correct things, it may take your horse a little bit of time to adjust to those changes and things might be feel a little weird or they might not work right off the bat. So don't expect immediate results. That being said, you could also be presently surprised by how much better things go when you start riding more correctly. Um... And just like your horse is going to need time to adjust to your new way of riding, you're going to need time to adjust. Your brain has created well-known neural pathways for you and how you ride. So in other words, you don't really consciously think about it. Like if you ask your your horse to turn to the left, If you've been riding for any amount of time, you're probably not conscious of all the things you're actually doing when you ask for that left-hand turn. So when you try to create new neural pathways, it's going to take some conscious effort. You will really need to think about what you are doing because you will be very tempted to go go about it the same way you always have. Um, the more you practice, the more custom you're going to get to your new way of riding. Those You'll start to ingrain those neural pathways and the old ones will start to fade away. You can kind of think of it like a gravel road. Right now, your neural pathways for your incorrect way of riding are well-traveled. It's well-graveled and it's nice and wide. In order to build a new road... It's going to take a lot of work and time, but eventually that new road is going to be all ready to go and you can start traveling on it. Because you aren't using the old road, it's going to start to disintegrate. Grass is going to start growing, trees might start um, sprouting up, and eventually you won't be able to even tell where that road was. And the same thing happens in your brains with your way of doing things when you ride. Another thing I should mention before we get into the things that I see riders doing wrong is that I encourage you to walk and lope more than trot. If you track your rides, I can bet you spend the majority of your ride at a trot 
I know I definitely do. However, as I'll explain in a bit, practicing at the walk and lope will allow you to improve substantially more than if you were at the trot. So this episode is going to be part one of a three-part series going over common riding mistakes and how to fix them. So for this episode, we're going to go over common mistakes with rider hands. Part two will go over common leg riding mistakes. And part three will go over issues that riders have with their seats. So when people are first starting out, and even as they progress, the natural tendency is to For some people, I would say the majority of people, the natural tendency is to control the horse completely with your hands. But you may actually be more effective with your horse if you use more leg and seat. Watch any professional rider and you will see that legs can do a lot while your hands remain soft and reserved for things like bending and getting your horse on the bit. The first problem that I see in regards to rider hands is that they are too stiff. If your hands and arms are stiff, you can't move with the horse. Think about when you see a jockey riding a racehorse. And I like to think of the scene in The Black Stallion where Henry, I think the trainer's name was, gets Alec to sit on a hay bale and just pretend he's riding uh, a racehorse. So you're going to see the their arms moving back and forth, back and forth with the horse's stride. And this allows the jockey to keep steady, consistent contact on the horse's mouth. If instead you keep your arms still, you're going to start bumping your horse in the mouth, which is obviously going to be confusing to him if your other cues are asking for forward motion. So how do we fix stiff arms and hands? With a lot of practice. (laughs) So we'll start at the walk. Hold two hands on the reins about a foot and a half apart from each other. Um, This should be a little bit further apart than where you would normally hold your hands. Usually they would be closer together. I'm thinking mine would probably be about eight inches apart. We want them to be about a foot and a half apart. So you're just going to hold them like this until you get a hang of this exercise. So when a horse is at the walk, you will move, they will move their head up and down, up and down with each stride. Your arms need to move with that motion. As you walk your horse, keep steady contact on their mouth. And to do this, you will need to open and close your elbows ever so slightly so that your hands move with their mouth. Um, A good analogy is to think of your reins like rubber bands. You don't want them to droop, but you also don't want them to snap. So, and if your horse isn't used to steady pressure like this, just keep your legs on them to keep that forward motion. Um, As you get used to this at the walk on a straight line, Try doing it while you do some turns. Keep the rein uh, from touching your horse's neck, all the while keeping that steady contact, moving with their motion. Once you're comfortable with that, you can step up the pace. At the trot, assuming your horse isn't lame, 
Your horse will not have the head gesture like they do at the walk. So you might, like I said, just want to go up to the lope. Each stride, the horse is going to have um, an up and down movement. Um, once you have this nailed, then you can move your hands back to the, to the distance apart. You would typically hold them. Um, but you should always, always remind yourself to continue that motion with your arms. Another issue that many riders have in relation to their hands is that they're too jerky or just have too strong of hands in general. I cringe when I see people yanking on their horse's mouths when the horse hasn't done something they want or they want uh, a stop. Yes, sometimes you need to be a little bit more aggressive with your hands, but there are some people that are chronically yanking on their horse. And it's not because their horse needs to be checked. It's because they haven't taken the time to work on their hands. Some of it might come down to nerves. You know, for myself, I, as a general rule, have really, really, really soft hands. I can sometimes get a little bit jerky when I'm nervous at a barrel race. Um, others may jerk on their horse or have... Um, are heavy-handed on the bit because they are compensating for poor balance. So if you find that you're balancing on your reins, you really, really need to work on your seat, which we'll discuss in part three of this three-part episode series. Um, so what if you? What should you do if you're one of those people that rides heavy-handed or jerks on the reins? Other than working on your seat, I suggest holding your reins differently for a bit until the problem is corrected. So when you usually hold your reins, the rein comes from the horse's mouth through the bottom of your hand and up the, through the top. Um, hold your reins as if you're driving your horse. So they're going to come from the horse's mouth through the top part of your hand and down instead, if that makes sense. Um, the reins will be moving through your fists in the opposite direction of how you would typically hold them. When you hold your reins like this, you're, you have less strength. Um, and you want to hold your reins like this going through all three gates. It's going to take a bit, but you will hopefully eventually correct this issue. I also believe that a part of it is also just comes down to being more aware of how using your reins impacts your horse. Back in my 4-H days, we each had to hold a bit in our hands between our, or had both hands, and we would hold the reins, or the bit, sorry, between our thumb and our first finger, and the bit would have reins attached to it and someone would stand behind us holding the reins and would jerk on the bit. And you would see immediately how much that hurts. It hurts very bad. And um, after experiencing that, I would never consider anything on my horse. I cannot imagine what that feels like in their mouth. So another problem with hands... Uh, bouncy or otherwise busy hands, I guess you could call it. 
this is an issue because all of that movement, all of that bouncing can definitely confuse your horse. Your hands should move to stay in sync with your horse and to cue him. Otherwise, your hands should be still. If they aren't, they could at the very least confuse or distract your horse and at the worst, they could potentially hurt him. So luckily there's an easy fix for this one. Hold a short bat or whip in both hands so that uh, the bat or whip is sitting horizontal and you're holding it. This will keep your hands steady. You know, it's kind of just, you restrict your movement and it keeps your hands parallel with your horse's neck. So it's going to feel really, really rigid and awkward when you do this, but you're going to start to get a feel for steady. Um, part of your bounciness may also have to do with your riding in general. If you bounce around in the saddle and don't keep time with your horse's stride, of, of course, your hands are going to bounce. Um, so again, improving your seat is going to be really important here for leveling out your hands and steadying them. So improving your seat we'll touch on in a couple weeks. The next hand problem that I used to get in trouble for at 4-H riding practice was broken wrists. So you actually bend your hands at the wrist. I would hold my reins and my wrists would be bent, tilted down holding my reins. Why is this an issue? Because it inhibits your ability to give smooth, clear aids to your horse. The movement instead will in all likelihood be disjointed and potentially jerky. Um, in 4-H, the way my broken wrists were corrected was by my 4-H leader hollering at me <laughs> to straighten my wrists constantly. If you don't have someone to do that for you, then consider getting some sort of wrist splints or wrist guards that are going to um, force your wrist to stay straight. Um, it's going to force your wrist to stay rigid and until you get used to that feel. I know it's kind of a crutch. You may end up um, going right back to old habits after you take them off, but um, definitely an option that you can try if you're having an issue with your wrists being bent. The next hand problem that I've got written down here is that your reins are too long. Obviously, this is a problem because it keeps you from having contact on the reins and creates a delay in the communication between you and your horse. I will admit that I have this problem from time to time with split reins. Most days, you can find me riding with a long single rein. And because of that, I've kind of gotten out of practice with split reins. Um, every once in a while, I find the reins getting longer and longer. I'm conscious that my reins have loosened off, so I quickly fix it. But that doesn't mean it isn't an issue. 
So to fix this, we go back to some introductory writing using old-fashioned tape. Wrap a strip of tape around each rein. Um, you can put some tape at the point where your reins would be too long and at the point where they would be too short. And this way you will have a section where you know that if your hands are in this section, your reins will not be too long or too short. Um, when I first started barrel racing, I put tape on each side exactly where I needed to put my hand going around the barrel. So I knew that if I put my hand on that piece of tape, I would, in most cases, be in good shape going around the barrel. So that's a strategy for that. The last hand problem that I want to touch on is having too wide of hands. So if someone were to fly over you and your horse while you're riding, your forearm and rein should create a straight line from your elbow through your wrist to your horse's mouth. If your hands are too wide, say farther than, I don't know, four to eight inches, and eight inches is probably pushing it, you will no longer have that straight line and your rain aids will not be as effective as they should be. So a quick fix for this will once again be a bit awkward, but you only need to do this for a little while until you get into the habit. Uh, take a bit without a shank, say like a D-ring snaffle or something like that, and hold the bit between your hands with some of your fingers around the rings. Um, because the bit is only so wide, you'll only be able to spread your hands so far apart. Ride like this until you get used to keeping your hands closer together. I guess I should say you generally want to be doing these fixes on a horse that is broke and relatively quiet just because some of them are a little goofy and you know like with this one if you accidentally drop one side of the bit and hit your horse on the neck you want a horse that's not going to completely freak out when that happens so choose your mount um, accordingly when you're doing these fixes. And with that, we wrap up the first episode of this three-part series. Next week, I will be going over some of the most common issues with riders' legs. Uh, the week after that, I'll go over some common seat issues. So like I said earlier, whether you barrel race, cut, or even just trail ride, we can all benefit from being better riders and I really, really, really encourage you to take a bit of time either for a little bit during each ride or maybe focusing one day a week to work on your skills as a rider. It will pay off going forward in whatever discipline you decide to take part in. All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got some value out of the podcast today. If you did, I'd love if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen. Also be sure to check out A Cowgirl and Her Horse on Facebook and Instagram. You can also head over to anchor.fm to leave a voice memo. Ask a question, leave a comment, or just say hello. 
Lastly, be sure to check out a cowgirlandherhorse.com slash deals for all sorts of exclusive offers and to get 10% off your entire order at horse.com. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's always a good day to ride.